0: Great, thank you. This sermon, where it was a series of lessons I uh, preached many years ago, uh, kind of forgot this sermon and I was scrolling through some of my files and came across it uh, about three weeks ago and decided I'm going to preach it again, probably preach it about 20 years ago. Certainly, there's nothing new uh, in my lessons. I'm only preaching what I've heard and what I've studied and and borrowed from others. So, Certainly the Lord's church is unique in the sense that it's the only one that was purchased by the precious blood of Christ. But what also makes us unique is the fact that when we understand and we respect uh, what the Bible says about unity. So certainly unity or oneness or undenominationalism, that thought is found throughout the New Testament, but uh, did not originate there. It originated uh, in the mind of God, Ephesians 10 and 3, uh, verses 10 and 11. And as we go back, we certainly know that uh, from Adam up to Exodus 20, when God gave the written law, the law of Moses, uh, all men had to worship him the same way. So Cain, Abel, Adam, Job, Abraham, and the like, they all worshiped the Lord the same way. When the law was changed uh, at Exodus 20, uh, again, they had to worship the Lord the same way. I'm reminded of what. Uh, The Bible says in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 48, God had just instituted the Passover feast. And it says in Exodus 12, verses 47 and 48, the Bible says, all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. Of course, speaking of the Passover. And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then let him come near and keep it. He shall be as one that is born in the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. Verse 49 says, one law, one law shall be to him that is homeborn and unto the stranger that surjoineth among you. So it's very clear that from the outset of Judaism, God expected and God commanded that his people worship him the same way and they practice their faith the same way. So over and over, you'll hear me say, of course, this is nothing new. It takes man with a heart that is willing to please God, to acknowledge it, and not only to acknowledge it, but he also must uh, respond correctly to what the Bible says about the uniqueness of unity. One of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible is Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8 is a portrait of religious unity. We see the unity of location in verse one. Bible tells us that they all met in one designated place. Number two, we see a unity of belief and purpose. The Bible says that they all requested the law. Thirdly, we see the unity of understanding. You read verse two, the Bible says those individuals were capable Those who had the wherewithal, those who had the the mental capacity, they all could understand the law alike. Fourthly, we see the unity of attention span. Bible tells us in verse three, they all gave strict attention. They were attentive to the reading of the word of God. In verse five, you see the unity of respect. Their actions reveal their respect for God and for his word. We also see next the unity among the teachers. That's verses seven and eight. And that's key. Not only was it key then, but it certainly is key today. Unity among the teachers. Their goal was and their message was the same. And so we see that they caused the people to understand. They took the task of teaching seriously and soberly, and they taught correctly, and everyone benefited from their teaching. We see also verses 9-12, through we see the unity of emotions. The Bible tells us that uh, the Word of God targets our heart. It targets our heart. And oftentimes, those who really love the Lord, those who study and ponder the Word of God, they are moved sometimes by what they have read in the Scriptures. So the Bible does speak to our emotions. It speaks to our intellect, but it also speaks to our emotions. And we see all of these individuals responding in the same way because they were blessed at this time to experience something they had not experienced before. We also see in chapter 8 of the book of Nehemiah, we see the unity in the leadership. The chief of the fathers took the initiative to learn, to continue to learn, to continue to better themselves, to be better leaders, to be better followers, to be better followers of God. And in so doing, everyone benefited from their example and from uh, their actions. Lastly, we see the unity of practice. Verses 14 through 18. This is a description of the Feast of Tabernacles or tents. The Bible tells us that they had not practiced this. They had not participated in this event. But here they are because they still had the word of God. They still had the seed. They were able to come back with the pattern that God left and practice and participate in this feast as did their forefathers. Now, the latter part of this verse, verse 17, the Bible tells us that these individuals, because they were blessed of God, to practice their faith as revealed in scripture, it says, and there was great gladness among those individuals. It certainly makes me think about what the psalmist said in the long ago. He didn't say I was sad, nor did he say I was mad. He said, I was glad when they said, let us go up to the house of the Lord. And so here you find an example in the Old Testament of God's people being unified in a way that is pleasing and acceptable to God. Uh, I don't have time because I'm going to spend most of my time uh, in the New Testament. But, of course, Psalm 133 is a beautiful psalm that speaks to this uh, matter and this principle of God ordained unity. Again, the thought is the uniqueness of unity. And so when we come to the New Testament, certainly it is undeniable that the New Testament speaks to this thought of oneness and unity. And we certainly want those who may be uh, listening in and listening to the sermon, if you don't share in our religious convictions, we're glad to have you. But we just want you to know from God's word that this isn't quote unquote Church of Christ doctrine. This is what the Bible reveals. As we look at what the Bible says. The Bible says in Romans six seventeen in the King James Version, uh, that it is a form or a pattern. A pattern certainly can be used over and over. You see my shirt. Uh, this shirt certainly isn't the only shirt of its kind. There are shirts that are identical to this shirt. When they made this shirt, they made many more like it. And individuals laugh when I'm in gospel meetings, uh, even in Swainsboro and other places I've preached. I said, here is the thought, a seed, according to Genesis 1, and 12, can only produce after its own kind. Now, the thought is, can you get a hog from a dog? Now, people laugh at that but because they say that's absurd. Can you get a cat from a rat? You certainly cannot. Can you get a sow from a cow? You certainly cannot. Now, when we bring that over to the New Testament in matters of faith, you cannot get a christian from a man-made doctrine you can only get a christian from the pattern that god has left behind for us to follow and as we think about it literally in all 27 books of the new testament the bible reveals that there's a common thread there's a common theme there's a common thought and god wants all men just as he did under the two previous dispensations he wants all men To worship him the same way not only is that a desire that is a demand of god and so when we look at our bibles we look at matthew the bible tells us that in matthew chapter 12 verses 22 through 25 the lord says a house or a kingdom divided against itself shall not or will not stand here is then without question the thought of oneness and unity also in Matthew 16, 18, here is Jesus stating to his disciples at that time, he said, Upon the, the rock, upon that confession that Peter just made, that he is the Son of God, the one and only of his kind, he said, I will build my church. Notice the singular nature of the church. I will build my church. Now, certainly we have driven through many towns and any town, USA, any town, rather, than USA, and we've seen churches some of which have uh, as their founders, men, they say it very, you know, as it were very openly, this church was founded by, as it were, a man. Now the Lord's church certainly can't be improved upon. It is perfect. And I often tell people when I'm teaching them the gospel, I say there are two sides. The Bible reveals that there are two sides to the church. There is the divine side and then there's the human side. Now, On the divine side, there are no problems. They are in perfect harmony, the three who make up the Godhead. Now, on the human side, when we begin to read our Bibles, we see over and over, beginning in the book of Acts, we see over and over that there will be, and there has been, and there will ever, but will always be until the Lord comes, problems on the human side of the church. They'll say, oh, there's some people in your church, as it were, that are hypocrites. Well, I can't deny that. We all have been hypocrites one time or another, but we're not perfect, but we have a perfect law that allows us to be right in the eyes of God. So God is looking for individuals who are faithful, individuals who want to serve him. I get a little ahead of myself. When I think about Hebrews 11:6, six, where God says that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Those who want to know the truth can know the truth. And I'm fully persuaded. No man has left this earth who had sincerely sought the Lord. We think back then, Matthew, Matthew certainly reveals the thought of oneness and unity. We move on to the book of Mark. And here some of these verses certainly overlap one another. In Mark chapter nine and verse one, uh, the Lord stated to those individuals uh, in his presence at that time, he said that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come with power. Notice the definite article. Our Lord uses this a lot. The definite article limits how many kingdoms there are. And the Lord put his name on the line, his good name on the line, because he promised that some of those individuals standing in his presence would not taste the death, would not see or experience physical death until the kingdom of God come with power. So again, the Bible tells us this uniqueness that, and this principle of uh, uh, unity is expressed in that sentiment also we find in mark 16 uh, 15 and 16 where the lord told his disciples then and he tells us today to go and preach not your opinion not the old law but preach the gospel not a gospel but the gospel so in the book of mark in the book of matthew what do we have we have the message of unity in the book of luke chapter 8 verse 11 the lord likens his word to a seed not a seed but to the seed the one and only seed that god has left uh and provided us and he tells us that the seed is the word of god and it's that seed that is planted in the hearts of men it is that seed that will reach the hearts of men four types of soil are revealed in Matthew chapter 13 we all fall into one of those four categories if a man is a member of the Lord's Church if he has sincerely heard the gospel believed it repented of his sins confessed Christ and he was immersed in a body of water for the remission of his sins according to Acts 2:47, God added him to his church and then God tells that man because he has obeyed the gospel that he must remain in the gospel. He must live righteously and soberly in this time in this in this this uh, wicked world. But he must stay connected to God by being faithful to God and utilizing God's word to help him make it from earth to glory. And so, the seed is the word of God. The Bible tells us that, and the Lord tells us. Uh, the Bible rather tells us in Matt in Luke chapter twenty-four. Verses 46 through 47. Here, the Bible reveals that they were to preach repentance and remissions of sins to all nations. Notice one message speaking spoken to individuals at that time who were diverse in their ethnicity. They were uh, diverse in many other ways. But God said, just as He said back in Exodus 12:49. Only one law, only one gospel, only one message is necessary. The book of John, of course, uh, the Lord's cousin, John the Baptist, declared it. Behold, not a lamb, but the lamb of God. And Jesus is the one and only of his kind, the monogenes. You know, Today, people uh, speak freely and openly and confidently about genetics, DNA. It seems as though everyone today is, a, as it were, an expert on DNA. Now, DNA was here when Adam was first formed. DNA has always been here. Man just discovered DNA. And so here's Jesus. He's the mono, only one, Ganes, genetics. He's the only one of his kind. He's the only one who's qualified to serve in the capacity of Savior. And so he is. And the Bible tells us that. One of the most beloved passages in all the Bible, John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We see the love of God expressed. We see the love of God exhibited. We see the love of God extended in that verse. God has but one Savior, savior and he's Jesus. And that one Savior can save all men. They tell us that we may have on this planet right now seven billion souls and god knows every one of them he knows each one intimately and perfectly so god knows me he knows my innermost thoughts he knows you he knows your innermost thoughts he knows if we are for real about our profession of faith and he knows if we're hypocrites here's jesus the one and only of his kind i often tell people my sons, they are not Grant-like. They are indeed Grant because we, they share half of my DNA and half of their mother's DNA. So here's Jesus, the one and only of his kind. Here is Jesus, the Lamb of God. Here the Bible tells us that Jesus, he's the one and only way to God. Of course, John 14 and 6. Then we back up a couple of chapters. What do we have? We have John chapter 4. Verses 23 and 24, where the Lord says, There is but one way. There is but one way that a man can worship God and be accepted by God. We move to the book of Acts. We find where the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 give gives rather these 12 apostles the same message. Now, of course, they spoke this same this message, this identical message in various of various languages but the message was identical and what happened three thousand precious souls obeyed the gospel and do we not have people over and over generation after generation tell us that no we cannot we cannot understand the bible of life do we not have people tell us uh, uh, you know worship god to the best of your ability doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe attend as it were the church of your choice why not attend? Why not learn about the church that Jesus chose? Why not learn about that church, at church for, for which Jesus died? Certainly, that's what Acts teaches us. Acts teaches us in Acts 2 47, there's but one church. Acts 2 37, 38, the Bible tells us uh, as they're preaching, beginning in verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made this same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. The Bible tells us when those individuals in the audience, those who had sincere hearts, those who wanted to please God, those who wanted to make heaven their final destination, they interrupted the sermon. Now, I've preached thousands and thousands of sermons, and I've preached now for nearly 30 decades. I have never had anyone to stop or interrupt my sermon and say, I need you to, to baptize me right now, preach. I want to become a Christian. If it were to happen, certainly I will oblige them. But here are these individuals, honest heart individuals. What did they want? What did they want, rather? They wanted to remove sin out of their lives. Then we turn on our televisions. We can turn on our radios. We Jonathan and I were talking about, uh, and Eric and I also were talking about how these these kids now and a lot of adults too have these gadgets, how they can uh, stream live shows of things on on their uh laptops tablets and on their phones but they also can hear the gospel and for ministries such as this one we're certainly thankful that we need to preach this gospel because of the simple fact that god wants us to understand and you may be as it were streaming, and i'm not making light of of individuals having as it were what i call gadgets but What we want you to understand, what God wants you to understand, that God has given us not only through his word. He's given us. The opportunity to be a member of that one church for which Jesus died. He's also given us, according to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11 and 26 and Acts 26 and 28. God has given us this name that unites us. Think about this name, Christian. Think about this name. This name honors Jesus. You go back to Isaiah chapter 62, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah said that the day will come when the Gentiles will be blessed to become the people of God, just as the Jews have been blessed. And when the Gentile and the Jew become one people, when they become one people, God said through Isaiah, that he would then give his people a new name. That new name, friend, is Christian. That name is the name that unifies us. That name brings honor to Christ. That name means that you belong to Christ. There are individuals, and certainly I believe most of them are sincere, but they are sadly, sincerely wrong. They believe that you can supplant this name. They believe that you can move this name aside. They believe that the name Christian, sadly, is a subordinate name. There are some who call themselves, as it were, the witnesses of Jehovah. Now, of course, I have never seen Jehovah, and no man has seen Jehovah. They say we are the one and only Christians, but they don't even want to wear the name Christian. It's a subordinate name in their doctrine, according to their doctrine, and there are others. You know, you've heard people say it, and I've heard people in my family say it. I was born of this, and I will die of this. Hmm. But The Bible tells us that a man must be born again if he wants to see God. He must be born again, and upon his obeying the gospel, that man will be added to the Lord's church (Acts 2:47), and he will be blessed to wear the privileged name, and that name is Christian. And of course, Acts 20 and. 28 teaches us that god purchased only one church with his blood and only one church is revealed in scripture as we move forward romans book of romans chapter 1 and verse 16 paul said he was not ashamed of the gospel for it is god's power to save. notice only one gospel only one message of salvation again i had said it previously romans 6 and 17 that word form means pattern. And then we go to the end of the book of romans romans 16 and 16. here is a uh, a wonderful passage of scripture loved by so many who serve the lord the churches of christ salute you what's paul saying paul is saying i never established a church i don't meet the qualifications i'm a mere man who needed salvation just as all men who have ever lived on this planet Paul, as he did in all of his preaching, he pointed men to Christ. He never got in between the cross and Christ. He never did. He made certain to get out the way. And he made certain to lift Christ up by the life he lived and by the messages he preached. And so it is fitting. And it's also biblical to say the church of Christ, based on the biblical evidence, All churches at that time were churches of Christ. And in the very next verse warned God's people then, and certainly that passage warns us today, to do what? Those who are the the teachers or the origins of divisive doctrines, God says mock them. Take note of them and keep your distance. Don't have any fellowship with them let's move on that same thought is found in uh first corinthians chapter 1 verses 10 through 13. certainly uh we have preached many a lessons from those verses i always remind brethren god is speaking to the church first he's speaking to the church here he's telling these individuals you are not following john chapter 17 you're not following you're not honoring the prayer of jesus the prayer for oneness and unity among his people here we find individuals, the Bible tells us, as certainly you have read on, on many occasions, uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. These individuals were acting like mere men, unsaved men, by being divided. And here we have individuals today, as it were, they are praising God. Thank you, Lord, for all of these different faiths. No, God does not accept that. He never has and he never will. And so the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 13, that God wants us. Excuse me. God demands of us that we preach the same thing, and that there be no divisions among us. How plain and simple is that, my friend? We keep on reading in First Corinthians chapter twelve, in other places where the Bible says there is but one body. We all were baptized. If we we're members of the body of Christ, baptized into that one body. Second Corinthians chapter six tells us that. We are the temple of God, and temple of the Holy Ghost. Also, he tells us and instructs us in that same chapter that we are not to have fellowship with darkness. There is a difference between light and darkness. Light and darkness cannot dwell in the same place simultaneously. So you're either light or you're darkness. He tells us that we all will be judged by the same standard, according to 2 Corinthians, Chapter 5 and verse 10. As we move forward to the book of Galatians, the Bible tells us that only one gospel is to be preached. There's not another, and that term, another, means another of a different kind. We are never to preach a doctrine or a gospel, if you will, that cannot be found in these 27 books that make up the New Testament. And so we must, according to Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, We must preach the same gospel that Paul and all faithful men we read about in the New Testament preach. If not, then certainly, sadly, we will be eternally separated from God. Uh, Galatians 3, 26 through 29, the Bible tells us that we all have been baptized into Christ. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 teaches us that there is but one law, and that law is the law of Christ. And lastly, there is but one standard, one canon, one set of rules. The one canon that God has left behind, according to Galatians 6.16, certainly is the gospel. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that in verse 14, who are we? We are the purchased possession. We are God's purchased possession possession acts 20 and 28 certainly says the same thing we are children of god according to ephesians 1 5 we've been adopted into his family and so we enjoy those privileges as the children of god the bible tells us that this is this book of, of ephesians speaks to the church in its relationship to christ more than any other book in the new testament the church is the household of god according to Uh, Ephesians 2 and 19 the Bible tells us that there is but one faith according to Ephesians 4 5 and the Bible tells us that we are to worship God the same way Ephesians 5 19 we look at Ephesians chapter uh, 6 verses 10 and following we see that we are all members of the same army we are all to put on the same armor I was was in the military for 10 years and I was in the United States Air Force. And so we certainly all had, and we all we were all subject to the UCMJ and all of us who were in the military subject to the UCMJ. And Air Force had its specific purpose. And so we had distinctive uniforms we wore because we were members of the United States Air Force. And the same applies to God's people, the unique army, the unified army of God, the army that God has sent out into this world to combat uh, spiritual wickedness this army of which i'm a member is the army that will indeed it will win the ultimate war against evil we want to encourage you we want to encourage you if you're not a member of the lord's church to obey the gospel so that you can become a member of christ's army now we need to say this because we're talking about the uniqueness of one of oneness. In the Bible, it is clearly revealed that there are as many bodies as there are heads. There are as many husbands as there are churches. There is one husband for the church, and that's Christ. And he has but that one bride, according to Ephesians 5, 22 through 32. And, of course, you open up this uh, book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 22, 23. The Bible tells us that the Christ... The Lord and master, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he is the head over his church, the one and only church, his body. We go to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians teaches us that uh, we have exclusive fellowship through the gospel of Philippians chapter one in verse five. In Philippians chapter three in verse 16, the Bible says we are to conduct ourselves or walk according to the same rule, according to the same rule, we are to walk again, oneness, unity, oneness, unity. And then the Bible tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. All of us who are saved and we have not in prospect the blessed destiny of heaven. The book of Colossians, a sister book, a companion book to the book of uh, Ephesians and others. Of course, here it is This wonderful book tells us that we have been translated. We have been translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. One kingdom. Mark 9, 1. One kingdom. One kingdom. And if you're not a citizen of that kingdom, I want to encourage you to become. Again, here you have Colossians. Colossians 1, 18 says the same thing. There is but one body. We ought to put off the old man and put on the new man, according to Colossians three nine and ten. All Christians, all Christians, the Bible tells us, we ought to let the words of Christ dwell into, dwell in us richly. Colossians three seventeen. What is God saying to us? Over and over and over, we ought to worship God the same way. We ought to believe the same things. We ought to preach and practice the same things. First Thessalonians tells us. In chapter 2 and verse 12, that all men have been called, all men have been called into God's kingdom. All men have been called into this one glorious kingdom. The Bible tells us that all the saved, according to 1 Thessalonians four thirteen through 18, all the saved, all the saved will be joined in Christ at the same time. The Bible says thus, so we, we all shall meet him in the air, those of us who are saved. We shall meet him in the air, and we shall go on to make heaven our eternal home. The Bible tells us in chapter 5 and verse 5, all us Christians, we are indeed like. In 2 Thessalonians, the Bible tells us all churches at that time were of God or of Christ. The Bible tells us all the wicked will receive judgment at the same time, and all the righteous will also receive their reward. At the same time, there is no such thing as a rapture. There is no great tribulation as men have speculated. We, when we die, if we're not ready, sadly, what's going to happen? We will not hear the Lord say these blessed words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And so the Bible tells us, according to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, that we are all saved through the same process. Chapter 2 and verse 14, we have all been called by the gospel. And in chapter 3, verses four, 6, verses 13 through 15, God has but one universal law as it pertains to fellowship or church discipline as we refer to it. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 1 that there is only one body of doctrine allowed, and that still stands, of course, today. Bible tells us that Christ's chief aim is to save sinners. First, uh, again, chapter 1 and verse 15. We only have one king who reigns over his kingdom. Of course, that's Jesus. That's uh, 1 Timothy, again, chapter 1 and verse 17. There's only one mediator between man and God, according to chapter 2 and verse 5. That's the man Christ Jesus. There's a universal doctrine related to men and women. As it relates to godly assemblies, that is found in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. The organization or the st- structure of the church is universal, according to chapters 3, verses 1 through 13. And the Bible tells us that the church, according to 1 Timothy 3 and 15, is indeed the house of God. We look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. The Bible tells us. We are required to pass on or to deposit to faithful men the same doctrine that Paul and Peter and John preached. The things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same, the same commit thou unto faithful men. Again, we have already spoken of uh, the Lord's army. And here is second timothy speaking to us to the same we need to have the same approach when it comes to biblical interpretation according to second timothy 2 15. we ought to rightly divide handle or write the word of god the bible tells us that the bible is indeed all sufficient it is all we need according to verse 15 chapter 3 and verse 15 it makes us wise unto salvation then the Bible explains itself, explains its purpose. Why does it exist? Verses sixteen and seventeen. Titus is a sister book to First and Second Timothy. God is speaking to the evangelists, and again echoes some of the same things that uh, the church must do. And these are universal principles, universal commands found in the book of Titus. The Bible wants us to know over and over. I won't be able to cover all of this, but. Uh, I have this if you want a copy of it i just went through every book in the new testament and it is clearly revealed in our new testament how important it is that we honor and respect of course we must acknowledge but we not only are we to acknowledge what the bible says about itself we look at james chapter 1 verses 25 the bible says it is the perfect law liberty and it is we look at other passages of scripture Uh, in the new testament we go to the last book of the new testament the book of revelation again tells us that all of us who are saved were washed by the blood of jesus we are in the kingdom we are part of the royal priesthood then there's that universal standard by which god would judge all men Jude tells us verse three we are to earnestly contend for the faith which was delivered once and for all times 2 John 9 through 11 the same standard we must use when it comes to teachers those who claim to be of God we must must, must use the same standard and we must compare what they are teaching with what thus saith Lord, the the Lord excuse me as I conclude it cannot be overlooked that our Lord prayed for oneness and unity in John chapter 17, verses 11, verses 20 through 23. Hundreds of times in my my ministry as I've been blessed to teach people, I take people to these verses and I say, sir or ma'am, I want you to highlight in your Bible every time the Lord uses the word one in this prayer. Here is Jesus on death row, only hours away from being betrayed, arrested, Tried, sentenced to death, dying on the cross. What is his chief concern? Oneness and unity. He had already foretold. He already had prophesied. He already predicted that he would go to the cross. But then he would come back, go to the grave and come back victoriously on the third day. He knew he was coming back from the grave. He paid the price, according to Ephesians 2, 16, for this blessed privilege of unity. He pleaded forward in 1 Corinthians chapter one, verses ten through thirteen. He planned forward it according to Ephesians chapter four, verses one through six. He provided us a pattern, Romans six and seventeen. When we think about the seven ones revealed in the book of Ephesians, I don't know how individuals can read through these verses and see the strong message contained therein. And then say, practice what you want. Uh, I heard on the radio today, a man said that they had polled a couple of thousand, as it were, millennials. And 94% of these millennials, if you will, who claim to be, as it were, of Christ, 94% of these young people who claim to be Christians said that they believe. They believe that there are multiple ways in which to make it to heaven. Now, John 14, 6 certainly does not agree with them. There's only one way. There's only one path. There's only one person. His name is Jesus. And so when we look at the mandate in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, when we look at the message Speaking about the seven ones, we certainly see the mandate of unity that you walk worthy of the vocation of your calling. We see the mindset of unity with all lowliness of mind. We see the mission of unity, endeavoring. Endeavoring is the same word translated study in 2 Timothy 2.15. It means that this individual will give his absolute best. He's striving. He is using all of his energy to accomplish the task. And what is the task? Endeavoring to keep the unity in the bond of peace. What is the mission of unity? Peace. That we all practice and we all preach the same thing. What thus saith the Lord. That one body, unity of organization. One spirit, unity of guidance. One hope, unity of aspiration. One faith, unity of message. One Lord, unity of authority. One baptism, unity of practice. And one God, unity of worship. There is no support in our Bible for what? Multiple faith? There's no support for various forms of so-called plans of salvation? Hmm. All you and I can do as far as an option. The best we can do, seriously, is to give God our undivided attention. Go back as I close the Go back to the thought of Nehemiah 8 and how those individuals had a united desire and they had a unifying message and the teachers taught the same thing and everybody practiced the same thing. And the Bible says there was great joy among those individuals. And when God sees, God hears individuals on this planet taking the word of God and loving the word of God. To the point that they are willing to turn away from family, uh, tradition, turn away from a faith that they would have practiced their whole life, they've turned to the word of God. There was a man named Chuck Wu. Chuck Woo, over in Africa. Chuck Wu at one point was listening to a shortwave radio message that was being preached by brethren over here in America. Uh The mission that uh, that mission work was true for the world. I'm going to call him Brother Chuck Wu because that's who he is. Brother Chuck Wu was a member of the Presbyterian Church. He took his New Testament. He began to read with these brethren and he sent and he asked for uh, information. He studied it and he just went back to the Bible and started practicing what the Bible said. He was a Presbyterian, as it were, pastor. He obeyed the gospel. And he went back and he taught the congregation that was comprised of about 65 people. He taught all of them the gospel. And at one stage, all of those individuals turned their backs on denominationalism and obeyed the gospel. And they went out one day and they took down the sign that said, whatever, whatever, Presbyterian Church. And they put up a sign. And on that sign was these three precious words, Church of Christ. How did he accomplish such? He had the right heart. He had the right standard, And he responded correctly to what thus saith the Lord. Thank you for allowing me to uh, share this message with you. Thank you, Jonathan and, and Eric, for this great ministry. May the Lord continue to bless it. May it continue to grow. At this time, we're going to turn it over to Jonathan and Eric.